everyone, and welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seske. Today, we're joined by Jared Shaw, Head of Finance at Gemini. Jared, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Andrew. Great to be here. So we do want to talk about how the space and crypto has developed really rapidly and who it's attracted to leading and development. You had a very traditional career path before Gemini. Love for you to walk me through early days at EY, at Goldman Sachs, even education. Can you walk me through and show me how that led to your interest in Gemini and this entire space today? Absolutely, Andrew. It's a very wide and varied past, so happy to walk you through it and take you on the roller coaster that it was. So I started my career in the Air Force, actually. I went to college at Boston University and did ROTC while I was at BU. And so after I graduated, I spent four years as an Air Force officer which was great. Really enjoyed that start to my career. It's very non-traditional. I think a lot of people do internships in college and spend their summers uh, working at a company and learning about how corporate America works. I spent my summers doing push-ups and <laughs> other military training activities in preparation for being in the military. So when I got out of the Air Force, I knew that I wanted to work in the financial industry. I spent my undergrad studying physics obviously a very technical degree, but I found through the military that I also liked leadership and non-technical activities. And so combining that, let's just call it right brain and left brain activity um, is something I really wanted to focus on. And I found that the financial industry is something I was always interested in and was able to combine that technical and non-technical capability. I ultimately uh, ended up working at Goldman Sachs First, in an internal controls, internal audit related role, which is something that is a good foundation for, I think, any CFO or head of finance. And then I thought at some point, Andrew, I wanted to be a portfolio manager. So I transferred into Goldman Sachs asset management and worked in portfolio management for fixed income. This was right around the financial crisis in 2008. I learned a ton um, living through that, and it was a, a really great trial by fire. Um, learning about the markets and investing. But it turned out I just, it wasn't the core passion. I got too far towards the technical side and wasn't focused enough on the leadership and project management, kind of team collaborative activity. Being a portfolio manager is somewhat of a siloed existence. And it's one where ultimately I wasn't going to be the next Warren Buffett or (laughs) a tremendous CIO somewhere. And so I found my way to Ernst & Young to work in their consulting division, still focusing on financial services firms, but helping them. What I tell most people is I was helping financial services firms stay out of trouble. Banks, broker dealers, you know, insurance, asset managers were all coming out of the financial crisis. Everyone was dealing with regulatory pressure. And so there was a lot of work helping them stay out of trouble. I started doing that in San Francisco in the Bay Area. And shortly thereafter, in 2014-15 timeframe, fintech really started to emerge. And being in the Bay Area, I was geographically fortunate to be able to focus on that sector and kind of help EY build out its fintech practice and approach. That was tremendous, being able to just run around Silicon Valley and meet with all these great emerging startups that were really trying to disrupt the traditional financial services industry. And that's what got me first thinking about how can I look at a financial career, but maybe a little bit differently than the traditional path. And then that largely turned into cryptocurrency emerging in 2017. And in 2018, I did a large consulting engagement 
for a couple of crypto firms. And then as everyone who gets involved with crypto, I fell down the rabbit hole and knew this is where I wanted to go with my career. And so came to Gemini and there wasn't any one specific thing that really said, hey, I want to go on this path towards a CFO role. It was really just where do my skills and interests lie and culminating this, this pretty wide, diverse background into where I think I could have the most value for the company. And this was it. And I absolutely love this job. It is, I feel very privileged to be in a role that is in a senior leadership position for our company in an industry that's still trying to figure out what it is. And so all the decisions we make and all the activities we do have just major consequence and you don't get that in any other industry. And so this is a great place to be. So, I mean, I need to mention that again, we're in person and I need to brag a little bit. Jared, you represent a really interesting mix of a lot of the CFOs I've actually interviewed. So many of them have traditional backgrounds. A lot have you know, this ability to rise to the role, mostly because they have managed to blend teamwork and a great IQ and knowledge for planning and being really predictive of problems that are coming you know, right around the corner. I think being in an emerging space at a relatively young firm, you always need to be one step ahead. I think one of the funnier responses I had ever was I asked uh, CFOs during the pandemic what they would have done differently or how they would have prepared. And everyone basically came back wishing they had you know, a crystal ball to have predicted. But we were talking earlier about the pillars and infrastructure that CFOs are relied upon really to create both culture, teamwork, communication flows, and also be highly technical. How have you found that, was it either in service or maybe in some of the teams that you worked in in finance? Where did that mold for you? And how do you think about that as Gemini scales? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't think it's any one silver bullet, Andrew, where any one particular experience really gives an insight for what you're talking about. I think it's all of them in combo. I think having a diverse background is really important for being able to solve problems. It's funny to hear about the CFOs you interviewed talking about having a crystal ball. We would all love to have a crystal ball. <laughs> if we could have a crystal ball or turn back time, we would all go back to 2010 and buy some Bitcoin, right? I think that it's also a bit of a crutch to want to have a crystal ball. I think there's something about focusing on the present and being focused on problem solving now thinking about the future, obviously, but being a problem solver. And I think this is where the diverse background comes into play. Having encountered a multitude of problems from the military to consulting and everything in between, I really love solving problems. And I think it's that love and desire to, to continue to solve them and motivate others to be a part of the solution is something that I take from that very diverse background. I want to sort of shed some light upon as Gemini grows and hires and expands globally, what does it actually look like to work in the crypto space today? You know, when you got to your role, what surprised you the most? And how do you think about the transition to non-traditional finance and kind of building out this ecosystem? What does your day-to-day -day look like? And what could people expect if they want to get involved in this space? Yeah, I think they can expect a very frenetic pace. And I think that's true for, for any startup um, or emerging technology sector. You know, the day-to-day -day is all over the place. I think Gemini has grown tremendously. We've grown 2x in our headcount over the last year. And 
with that, we're still all wearing many hats. And so the day-to-day is just all over the place. And so what I think that means is, and one of the things we talked about earlier is an ability to be able to handle a volatile, changing environment. Certainly working in cryptocurrency, all the things happening in digital assets uh, somewhat dulls one's senses to massive amounts of change or things being really great in one quarter and not so great the next quarter. I think that an ability to be able to navigate through those ups and downs is something that we learn really, really well at Gemini and I think in the crypto industry more broadly. And so having that mindset of focusing on being consistent, of looking towards the future in a measured way, but being able to stomach the ups and downs in the short term, I think is something that's critical for anyone in a startup environment. And probably I would suspect important for someone who's the CFO of a large company or or operating a large company because innovative, disruptive technologies are only, only going to impact those industries more. I wanted to shift focuses a little bit, talking more specifically about Gemini as an exchange, as a platform firm that has multiple business orientations and business lines, you know, accumulating into what is more of a platform every day. In my mind, and tell me if I'm mischaracterizing anything, Gemini really started as this institutional grade, fastest turtle in the race, amazing company that was going to do everything right because the space and technology deserved it. It was you know, breakthrough tech and it needed, you know, it needed explanation and it needed uh, regulatory guidance and all of this really hard work that takes time and energy. So if I were to differentiate Gemini from any other marketplace, any other platform, how would I do so? And if I think about institutional versus retail, where does Gemini fit today and where do you see Gemini going in the future? Sure. You're absolutely right, Andrew. I think the genesis of the company was very focused on Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss's, uh, our co-founders, early experience investing in Bitcoin, which was, as they would put it, the Wild West. Very uncertain, unsecure, large hacks like Mt. Gox historically made the experience really difficult for the average person. And I think their vision was trying to make this experience much more approachable for the average consumer. That first started out with institutions, obviously building, as as you put it, a weapons-grade security and safety type of environment for buying, selling, storing cryptocurrency. That is the core. And Cameron and Tyler had the vision that ultimately there needs to be regulation. There needs to be rules around this because that will bring broader mass adoption. It really focuses on security and trust. And that's something that Gemini has built its brand around. And we will continue to build a brand around. So although that started with an institutional mindset, that has quickly pivoted to a broader retail adoption as we've seen more and more customers uh, from a retail standpoint. And crypto has really been a retail story for a long time. I mean, it's just now that we're really starting to see massive uh, institutional adoption. So from a retail standpoint, buy, sell, store was a great entry point for crypto. But being able to expand to other what we call money verbs, earn. So we have products that allow customers to earn interest on uh, deposited crypto or what really is lent out cryptocurrency. Being able to reward customers. Um, We're launching a credit card that will give customers up to 3% crypto rewards on any of their purchases. 
these additional money verbs are giving customers a broader access to cryptocurrency, and we want to be at the forefront of all of those various methods. So the split is very much a lot of institutional and a lot of retail. We're fighting basically two-front war, uh, which is not easy, but it's something that we see as being very important to the space. So you mentioned the credit card. Let's talk a little bit more about how Gemini is not just an exchange merging into being a full-fledged platform with multiple entry points. Questions I get all of the time having done some research and been involved with the space for a number of years is how do I get genuine exposure? How do I learn how to use any sort of crypto projects? NFTs are all over the news right now and it ebbs and flows. We've had very exciting times in crypto winters. We've had you know, huge spike prices and during the pandemic and everyone goes home and reads about inflation. So when you're thinking about multiple you know, business lines for Gemini, let's really talk about first the credit card. Do you see it as opening up just multiple entry points for people to start getting involved to learn about why this is important today? Absolutely. So I think cryptocurrency has a distribution problem. It is very accessible to individuals who are digital natives, who understand having value stored on the internet and who have grown up that way. But there is a vast amount of uh, individuals and wealth out there that are not digital native and individuals who hear about cryptocurrency but have never had really the desire or trust that a digital native person has. So perfect example, you mentioned, Andrew, before we started that your dad was an, an RIA, a wealth manager. I'm sure your dad has a number of customers that ask him all the time, you know, what about Bitcoin? What about Ether? Or my child tells me I should buy some Dogecoin. <laughs> and they, those, your dad's customers are going to do whatever he tells them to. They're not going to go out and sign up for a Gemini account or some other platform and get involved in cryptocurrency. And so that distribution of being able to get folks like your dad's customers into cryptocurrency is what we think is really the next frontier. And the credit card is a great way to do that. So like I said, individuals might not be able to go out and sign up for a Gemini account, nor would they, if they can't do that, they wouldn't be interested in getting a MetaMask wallet and interacting with NFTs on OpenSea. I mean, that's a very opaque and faceless process for a lot of people. But everyone swipes a credit card. And if we can attach the experience of cryptocurrency to something that you do every day, that is a fascinating new entry point for, for individuals. Even if someone did sign up for a Gemini account, they still didn't have to think about, okay, which token do I want to buy? And now do I buy it today or do I buy it tomorrow? And there's a lot of nervousness around that. But if you're just you know, collecting or being rewarded with cryptocurrency every time you swipe a credit card, that's fantastic. The great thing about the card is it's instant. So you earn up to 3% on your purchases. You can pick any of the tokens we offer on our platform. And once you swipe, the next minute that crypto hits your account and is available for you. So you don't have to wait for the end of the month or your statement period or whatever. It's yours instantly. So you really get a chance to interact with it right away, which is we think is a really compelling offer for customers. That's interesting. We had the uh, CFO or uh, former CFO of PayPal and eBay and, you know, a big piece of our payment infrastructure and having worked at Goldman, I'm sure settlement time, uh, you know, looking at what could be in the past T plus 14 versus T plus two versus an automatic settlement with an ability to realize some 
not only visible game, but have some way to interact with the value immediately. It's had an exciting piece of this whole launch. It's relatively recent too. The, the credit card is now live and people can sign up for it. So it's currently, uh, you can sign up for the waitlist. It is currently in testing with Gemini employees, but we'll be looking to roll out to waitlist customers this year. So we're really excited about that, but it is definitely uh, that pro- prospect of instantaneous access is something that is not offered anywhere else. And it's instantaneous access that you have liquidity to, uh, an asset that you have liquidity to, and you can potentially see appreciation with that asset. Unlike a cashback, traditional cashback credit card where that cash is going to get inflated away <laughs> over time, this is a really exciting, compelling offer. Before we get too deep into the next topic, there are, you know, we have a pretty broad base of listeners, highly technical CFOs to friends and family. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if you could briefly define, obviously the entirety of the space it developed around decentralized ledger technologies and the Bitcoin white paper was a huge push towards the creation. Well, it was the creation of this entirety of the space, but just to separate Gemini as a private company, a startup, if you could crystallize that idea of what Gemini is detached from the ecosystem as, you know, it's your day-to-day, you're running a privately held firm. I think that'd be helpful as we talk about multiple business lines, uh, the fact that you're still you know, in the you know, senior management role of a company. I think there's this obfuscation that takes place where immediately people hear a conversation like we're having now and check a Bitcoin price, which is not necessarily the only piece of this puzzle. It's a pretty complex entity now. Could you just go quickly through just for listeners and define their Gemini as an entity and some of the emerging business lines so that people can go and explore them? Yeah, absolutely. So Gemini is a platform for interacting with cryptocurrency and digital assets. Started as buy, sell, store. So we the core of our business is an exchange for cryptocurrency. And what we see is an on-ramp from transferring your typical currency, often called fiat currency, into interacting with cryptocurrency. So an on-ramp into the blockchain technology cryptocurrency world. We also offer a, a number of different ways to interact with crypto. So you mentioned non-fungible tokens, NFTs, are probably one of the hottest emerging frontier use cases for crypto, for blockchain technology. We have a large marketplace for NFTs called Nifty Gateway. It's a really exciting platform that offers the ability for digital artists to sell and then for customers to be able to have a marketplace for acquiring digital art in non-fungible token form. It's growing tremendously and that's such a hot sector. And I think when people think about Gemini, they don't necessarily know that uh, Nifty Gateway is a core part of our offering, but those two worlds are going to, to merge more and more. And then we mentioned the credit card products. We're also expanding globally. So Gemini has offices in Singapore, the UK, Ireland, We are looking at South America right now. So geographically growing globally is going to be a major driver for us in the future. And then obviously all of this is underpinned by the core custody of digital assets, which we've built, uh, like I said, a weapons grade solution around the most secure, trusted. We have some of the world's smartest cryptographers that work for Gemini. And all of those points of access in the cryptocurrency are underpinned by this really strong, secure custody platform. I think maybe the most exciting point of the podcast and how people are thinking about Gemini is this behemoth of institutional grade, you know, very secure, very trusted environment coming down to 
retail access is something that I think that a lot of companies and other marketplaces think to you know brand and head towards the excited retail investors in the space. I think Gemini's taken a unique approach by really going methodically through the growth of really addressing the most challenging problems about interacting with the space upfront. And I think that's a huge reason for all of the growth today is because you've solved a lot of those problems. So it's exciting to hear that Gemini, you think of it as the on-ramp in, into the entire space. One thing I wanted to think more about your career and you is that you probably have worked with a number of public and private companies. I'm wondering if there's a difference. I mean, Gemini's private. How do you think about financing and how do you think about working with uh, investors and the differences between working with public and private entities? Yeah, sure. You know, Gemini is very fortunate in the sense that we have founders who have a very long-term vision and have invested in this sector, not only personally, but also in, within Gemini. They've backed the company um, and Gemini is very closely held from that standpoint. That long-term view is really important to us. And I think it's something that's not shared consistently among other private companies who might be looking for a quick transaction or might be looking to release a quick product or service that gets them acquired. And I think our founders are perfectly happy keeping this company private as long as possible. We might not do that, but I think that that's, that long-term view serves us because we're not chasing the next greatest shiny object. There's certainly many, many different things we can go after in the cryptocurrency sector, but an ability to be thoughtful and patient and go after the areas that are, we think, most long-term impact, impactful is, is really important. Perfect example, you just mentioned, starting off doing the hard things first is not an easy thing to do. So a lot of our competitors started out just pursuing retail um, crypto adoption and have done really, really well with that and are now starting to pivot more into institutional or more secure forms of crypto activity. Going the opposite way has been a very difficult decision. We've foregone a lot of growth because of that, but we think long-term it's really important because we have that brand and that trust and that secure. Customers are understanding that our platform is very secure and that we think is going to be a longer term growth driver for us. Now, should we go out and do interesting things like Nifty Gateway or uh, launching a credit card? Of course we should, but the ability to be private and to focus on those longer term value drivers is critical for us. I mentioned before we started Cryptopedia, just as a really amazing way to start learning about basic terminology in the space. What can, do you think companies should have a digital asset strategy? Should all companies have a digital asset strategy? We talked about how the CFO role uh, would love to have, uh, you know, their benefits of having you know, some foresight and planning for the future to the best of your ability. Just looking forward to maybe you think this is the direction that all finance is heading. What can people start doing today that would make a difference to prepare them for where you see is maybe an inevitability of this really being very standardized across finance? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our Cryptopedia platform is tremendous. We have really gone out and queried and surveyed customers and have done so globally and tried to understand what some of the biggest barriers are to you know, adoption into cryptocurrency. And largely the biggest barrier is education. And so our head of communications, Carolyn Bedina, who's tremendous, has 
built out this platform for being able to provide that education. We want to be able to engage people who are curious about crypto and then funnel them in to experience all the great products that we have to offer. Now, taking that to the company level, should companies have a cryptocurrency or digital asset strategy? 100%. It kind of makes me think about companies maybe in the early 90s as there was this little thing called the World Wide Web developing and a lot of companies thinking maybe it wasn't that important, but there were probably you know, some very smart junior people within the company who were saying, hey, bang the table, this thing is going to be huge. We need to get involved with this new emerging technology called the internet. And so there are probably a lot of people at companies today in a similar book who are, you know, have mid-level or lower-level roles, but are super passionate about digital assets and are banging the table. If you're a company and you have those people, listen to them and hear them out and understand where they're coming from right to this technology, because you need to hear them now. But if you don't act quickly on that, the technology will move so quickly and move away from you. And so I would say mind your internal uh, employees for what they're passionate about on this frontier and make sure you take advantage of that. Jared, this is my favorite part of every podcast. I always ask this question about what you feel is most underestimated in the world. It doesn't have to be about crypto. It doesn't even have to be about finance or your career. Is there some trend or something that you are personally exploring that you feel is underestimated? And if so, is there anyone who you are you know, looking to address that or somebody actively addressing that issue today? Yeah, it's a great question, Andrew. I love this question. It's really thoughtful. I was trying to think about are there particular technologies or areas of crypto that maybe are underrepresented? And I think probably all of them are. <laughs> um, so we could spend a whole day just talking about that. But I think one of the things, taking it back to, to my background, if I could, one of the things in my career that I found is very undervalued is the understanding that leadership is a learned skill and not necessarily something you're born with or is innate to individuals. And that's coming from someone who is not a born leader. It's not innate with me. But And if you could see me at 18 years old when I started in the ROTC program in college, you certainly would have said this person has no future in leadership. But the military is extremely adept at showing people that, no, you can learn how to be a leader. You can build these skills, but it takes a career. It's really a lifelong endeavor. I think there are a lot of courses today and there's seminars and people that coach and train about managing things and doing performance feedback and having hard conversations and being uh, doing, doing performance evals. It's, there's a cottage industry in those types of trainings. And I think people believe that they can go to one of these trainings and then all of a sudden they know how to be a manager. But a manager is someone, in my view, that oversees things and processes. Leaders are people that influence others to do really hard things or motivate people to accomplish really outsized objectives. And managing and leading are two very different things. And like I said, there are a zillion books about how to lead, but if you're not practicing it and looking at it every day, it's really hard to, to keep up. As you grow and evolve, your leadership style or your influences grow and evolve. I think it's important to continue to focus on that. So whether it's taking a course or reading a book, that's one thing, but more likely it's thinking about how you handle different situations. 
situations and understanding or looking around you, looking at how others handle various situations and applying that to your own leadership style. So it's a never ending process. It's something that continues to be focused on. And uh, I wish more companies focus on that ongoing learning. Like I said, I think the military does a very good job of it. They take really young individuals and put them in to some crazy scenarios and require them to make really hard decisions. And you can only do that by focusing on leadership as a core skill and not just necessarily something that you want. What do you look for in an individual who you want to join the finance team for listeners who are younger, want to get involved with Gemini as the team expands? What I know you just gave us some really great genuine insights into what makes a, a great CFO or head of finance. Do you find and look for those uh, innate talents and learned skills in young people that you're bringing onto the team? Absolutely. Those are, you know, those skills are, are critical. I would say if I had to distill it down, it would be a couple of things. One is a roll of your sleeves mentality. Working in a very fast paced startup requires that individuals be able to do a lot of different things. And so not being shy about rolling your sleeves up or do something, doing something that's maybe slightly below your role or responsibility is needed on a daily basis. And two, having a low ego. So this is in line with rolling up your sleeves. If you have a low ego, you're willing to do what it takes to get the job done and not rest on a title or a laurel or some other thing that you might think is owed to you. If you can roll up your sleeves and have a low ego, I guarantee you will be successful in whatever job you're working on. I can't think of a higher note to end on. Thank you so much, Jared. This has been the Modern CFO Podcast. We're here in New York and it's a, a beautiful Tuesday morning. And I just wanted to thank you so much for all of your time. I know we'll likely be back and we'll have to record another episode in a year or so as the team continues to grow, go global. How can people get in touch with you? And as Gemini is the on-ramp into crypto, what's the first thing people can do? Can they go to Gemini.com and send you an email? Or what's the first step everyone can do to get in contact with you or check out Gemini? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, best way is probably on LinkedIn, Jared Shaw. There might be a lot of Jared Shaws out there, but I'm the one at Gemini. And otherwise, please go to Gemini.com, sign up for an account. You can look at all of our various resources. You mentioned Cryptopedia earlier um, and check us out. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew.